This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's Swindon Town. Hello, everyone. Yes, that's not the dulcet tones of Rich Pullen. He is away, and it is me, JR, covering on the presser. He will be back for the Rochdale game. He's jetting off everywhere. There's been planes, there's been automobiles, but there hasn't been trains because affected by the strikes from Total Sports Swindon. It is, of course, the ever-present Joe Acklam. Joe, how are you doing? Hello, Joe. Joe here. How are you? Very well. I didn't want to do the, you know, the big Joe chants or entry because it seemed like I was talking to myself. So I thought I'd leave that. That could be Rich's stick. And also I could explain, you know, in case people have thought they've put the wrong episode on the you know, I'm doing the cover this week, so just to set the tone there. But it's just um, uh, all good. Before we get right into today's presser, I just wanted to uh, gauge, and I just felt out whether you'd been to this off mic. Um, just wanted to gauge your views, uh, recapping Tuesday night and your thoughts and feelings from what you saw. It seems to have split opinion based on the last pod and the feedback and. Connor and Terry and Rich talking all about it. Seems to really, you know, split straight across the middle, across the fan base. What did you think? Yeah, I think most things Swindon are fairly split at the moment, but I would say I was overall largely fairly pleased with the performance. You know, this team clearly isn't, you know, 
a, a top seven side. Scott Lindsay said himself in the press conference today that this team isn't playing at a particularly high level at the moment. Lake Norian are a team who are playing at a high level. You know, they've got 10 points so far. We're the only team to have taken anything off them. So, you know, we were pretty much toe-to-toe with them the whole way through. I think they were they probably looked more likely towards the end of the game, but overall thought it was fairly equal. And I think that's probably a good sign of things to come if we're able to compete like that with a team right at the top, as we did in the other home game with Salford, who were one of the other teams who are joint top of the division at the moment. Yeah, it felt a little bit like if we're bookmarking the Orient game, then the games sort of falling either side are ones that we may be more expected to get a result from and that we thought this one might be trickier. So when putting it in that context, you know, getting a point isn't so bad. And three points is a win, as a wise man once the carefully said didn't they yeah if you can rack up three draws in a row which we now have done uh, then that's a win hope we can get an actual win on the board uh, this weekend against a slightly weaker team in Rochdale but if we keep drawing every game then we might just about survive well one thing I did notice is that Scott Lindsay was utilizing the squad more there was you know not a lot of substitutions used in previous fixtures but seem to get good runouts for everybody and from what I understand or seemingly at the end nobody seemed to be too crocked or knocked um, did we have any update on any injuries or anything like that today? Yeah I think for the third press in a row which actually spans the course of a week rather than any longer than that we are sort of in the exact same position as we were leading into the game. Kieran Brennan is back in training, he trained almost entirely with the first team squad today. I think he did a little bit of personal work. He's not, and this was confirmed by Andrew Hawes, who is, as we said, is really loving the uh, concussion protocols at the moment. He has not done any heading yet, but he is back in full training as of today. I believe he'll he'll be training tomorrow as well, but he's not being considered for selection yet. They want to get him a full week in training before they do that. So he won't be playing against Rochdale, but he is back an almost closer selection, whereas Reese Devine and Alice Anderlo are, of course, still out for the foreseeable future. That's good news. I did hear him on the Talk of the Town, and uh, Sean Hodges was asking if he'd been to the Outlet Village yet, and I think he's been there a couple of times, a little place else. So good to hear that he's uh, well and on the mend. I mean, concussions are difficult things to do. You can do your, you know, your neurological assessments, and you can you know, look at somebody's pupils or unless you've got you know advanced ct scanners or things like it'll be hard to tell and so it's probably reasonable that they've thought he was okay um and now it seems like they're exercising extra caution which is probably not a bad thing in the long run yeah i think in general the concussion protocol in football isn't foolproof it seems you know certainly during a game it's can you remember what day it is kind of stuff fairly basic so he probably did pass the test that they had first time around. And when it reared up, they went, OK, we need to step back here. This guy clearly isn't as fine as we thought he was. Let's give him the time that he needs to be absolutely clear of this. And that's what they've done. And hopefully he'll be back in for, was it Stockport the following weekend? And that should that's a more realistic goal. But they've given him all the time that he could possibly need to get over what is a, you know, a very serious uh, injury. Yeah, we've got good medical staff there. We know from last year with um, you know Ben Garner being very cautious about uh, 
utilising players who might not be fully fit. So it seems like a sensible thing to do. We touched briefly on, and of course the guys did on the previous pod, uh, reflecting on Orion. What did Scott Lindsay have to say? It was yourself, Andrew Hawes, as you said, and Johnny Leefield um, in the press. So what was his what was his reflections on, on Tuesday night? His, uh, his reflections were fairly similar to as they were before. He's... You know, he's made a big deal about wanting the team to be less anxious in possession, which I think you could clearly see that they were to the extent that I thought maybe watching the game that it was a tactical decision to try and play in behind Leighton Orient increasingly often. But, um, you know, he wanted them to be calmer in the on the ball, play, play the style that this team has become more accustomed to over the past just over a season and go that way but overall and I think you can definitely see this you know people people are going to be unhappy because this isn't the start of the season we wanted but there is obvious game to game progress from this team we played pretty well against Leighton Orient all things considered we've you know Carlisle we seem to sort out the lack of chances thing you know against Salford there was clear I mean it couldn't get any worse than Harrogate but it you know there was a clear progression from game to game there so this team is moving in the right direction. Scott Lindsay is seeing the right things. As I said, he's you know he's realistic. This team is not performing like a side that's going to play in the playoffs, but they're doing as much work as they can behind the scenes and on the training ground at Beaversbrook to get this team up and running, increasingly accustomed with the style, which is something that I asked early on if he felt that they were fully up to speed with, and he said uh, pretty abruptly that they were. But you know, I think they are still they are still coming to terms with it because this this is a new squad. But you know, in time, hopefully sooner rather than later, this will be a side that can compete at the top, and that's still very much the aim. Yeah, it feels like it feels like we're leading into you know boiling point for the weekend because I think expectations are this should be. You know, Rochdale have had they seem to have a reasonable enough preseason, but the actual season itself has been calamitous and sitting rock bottom uh, having lost all of their their feud. Some breaking news on uh, that one that we didn't get in the presser because I think that Scott Lindsay was quite complimentary but they've uh, they've binned off the manager and assistant literally before we've uh, before we've recorded so it'll be interesting to see what sort of shape that they're in. What did what did he anticipate before this this news hit? Well, yeah, of, uh, how they I think we we started at about three and were done by about quarter two with Louis Reed and Scott Lindsay. But and I think the Rochdale manager and assistant were gone at four. So you know what Lindsay told us was true for all of about forty five minutes in the end. But you know, and I think this is something that you can t- you can see with Rochdale and the way that they play, and it's borne out in the stats for last season where we were sort of top for every possession statistic and Rochdale was second. This is a team who are, you know, are pretty good on the ball. They like to hold possession. The issue is that they aren't particularly good at either end of the field. This isn't something that Scott Lindsay said, but it's something that you can quite clearly see. Um, you know, they've I think they've scored one goal and lost all four of their games so far. So this you know, clearly not a particularly good side. Bottom of the division, only team in the whole EFL not to have taken a point yet. But Scott Lindsay was felt that this, you know, he wasn't particularly sure how they hadn't taken a point yet. They'd been fairly controlled in all their games. Although I think I was looking through their games and their stats for the two home games were okay and pretty shambolic for the two away matches. So, you know, this is this is one of the things that you have to get used to. I think I saw a lot of fans when I was I tweeted out everything that Scott Lindsay had said 
in a brief form and every week you get a sort of reaction oh why is he saying oh the opposition are good every week the reason he says that is because you can't say anything else because if you say anything else it goes straight on the dressing room wall for the opposition it's added motivation you don't need to give them that's frankly why you don't say Rochelle are bloody useless we're going to beat them 6-0 because you're only setting yourself up for a fall by doing that Rochdale, you know they're not a great side I think you could probably see their start to the season coming with the way they finished last but they are a decent side on the ball, as Lindsay said, and they're just not clinical enough at either, either end of the pitch, really. And that's why they're bottom. And hopefully, you know, they don't have enough time to recover, get that new manager bouncing before we play them at the weekend. Well, exactly. I presume they'll have a caretaker because there's only going to be tomorrow to really set up and make any plans. So it's quite a drastic thing. It's quite, uh, yeah, quite, um, quite profound with the him saying that he thought that Robbie Stockdale would get them going soon enough and then literally within the hour that's him out of a job, that's him gone Um, just before moving on from that sort of preview from it when we're talking about uh, you know prospects as being a you know being like a a flashpoint a key turning point in the season there was the idea that this could be a game that changes that negative perception Um, and also, I think you've already touched on as well this idea of you know booing or you know, grumbling about negative football. Yeah, I think this game is pretty much everything for Swindon. There was a suggestion, I believe, from Reed and Lindsay that a win would change the mood quite a lot, and I wholeheartedly agree with that assertion. This is this is a team that have played okay, not particularly well so far. We're un, undefeated in three, even if we haven't got a win yet. We're moving in the right direction. Now we play a team bottom of the league, absolutely zero confidence. And, you know, this has got to be a win because there, there was a lot on Johnny Leefield and I sat in the press box. We're getting increasingly annoyed at this. Johnny a lot. I think he went on a lot about it most of the evening and also most of today. Um, when we were talking about the way that the fans react to Swindon playing backwards and that question came up in just as a sort of explainer why teams play backwards when you're playing possession football and it is to open up space because if you keep going down the same side and keep trying to play forward it's a lot easier to stop you if you can move attack into different angles then the team has to shuffle over and potentially someone doesn't do that quick enough and then you have a space where you can attack and that's why they play backwards why Scott Lindsay explained that sometimes you have to move backwards so that you can go forwards again and you know the the fans getting on on that back and fe- feeling a bit anxious, just like Lindsay felt the players were. I think that goes away if you start winning, and it, and this is a perfect place to start doing that because suddenly the style makes more sense because you're getting wins on the board. If I went to a game and somebody wasn't shouting "Get it forward," <laughs> it it wouldn't feel like home. So it's, that's always going to be the case, isn't it? It'll always be you know gripes about going back, but when you're not getting results, I suppose it it stands out more. Um, well, in terms of getting forward, let's let's ask a little bit about forwards and the transfer market because that's still the outstanding uh, addition, isn't it? Is getting a striker in any striker chat today? Yeah, this is this is the chat until it isn't, I suppose. With Lindsay's been clear that he wants a striker, so I guess it's self-imposed that we ask about that at every single presser to see where they are. And frankly, I think he thought he might have cut it off in at its source last week by saying, you know, because the 
the time in between games is shorter. You can't really integrate, so it wouldn't be any updates. But the update question came anyway. And, you know, I think we did get more of an explanation of what they are, what they may be searching for and how rigorously they're doing this process. Because there was the belief that what we're looking for is, you know, obviously someone who can add more goals to the team, but someone who offers different elements to the forwards that we already have, which is perfectly sensible. Obviously, we have Jacob Wakeling, who I think you hear quite a lot from people somewhat lazily, but it is also fairly accurate, is the Jerry Yates striker. He runs himself into the ground, but he's also got you know, a good finishing instinct on him. I think we saw at the weekend that he's very unselfish, on Tuesday even, that he's very unselfish. And with the way he played it across to McCurdy to get that opening goal. And then also we have Harry McCurdy who can play through the middle, who's you know maybe the more exciting fans off off their seats type player with that poaching element to him. And then Tommy Adeloy, who's your more physical option. And we're looking for someone who can complement that and add to that pool of skills, as well as who can come in and hopefully bang in 20-odd goals which everyone is looking for. The pool of players who can do that is very small. I think, you know, he said up up to and possibly even more than 20 players they've been looking at for that role in the team. They've been having conversations. They've been doing all the scouting and all the work that they can. But when the demand is high and the supply is low, that deal is difficult and it's taking time. And they're fairly happy to wait on that at the moment. But obviously, that they will have to in the next... 12, 13 days make a move on that player and hopefully we should see it. I think there was a suggestion ahead of Leighton Orient that next week could be a possibility. So if we wait and hopefully it's then and then we can push forward and stop asking the striker question because it has come up a lot. But until then, the striker question will come up from one of the three of us every week. No, I really enjoyed like being pushed to say, well, well, how many, how many exactly are you looking at? I did like that's the sort of thing that I always wonder about that kind of thing. And this phrase kept coming up about a skinny market. It's a skinny market to get a striker in. I suppose that, especially for you know players who might be dropping down a division, might have experience, it might might be the sort of model we're looking at. Or alternatively, if we're looking for uh, higher level loans, they're probably going to have the the best choice of those when it comes to the end of the window. I think Sandra Di Michele would tell you that we were looking for undervalued assets who we think have a presumably a high you know, XG or overperformance or whatever certain stat they look at. But yeah, I think the skinny market is you know there aren't that many goal scorers who aren't wanted because they're goal scorers and they are always wanted. So you're competing with a lot of clubs. You're trying to find the right guy at the right price and that is that's difficult and it's taking its time you're trying to find the one who can who can complement the players we already have fit in with our style and add something else to it and that's it's as he said a skinny market so yeah in economic services had low demand low supply high demand it's just more difficult no it's good insight because of course key part of that is it's not as easy as maybe some of us fans think it is but yes if we're going for sort of undervalued striker cheap i'll be uh, very pleased to welcome back mr sol price i guess <laughs> i guess we'll uh, look forward to his his re-unveiling uh, in a couple of weeks um shall we have a listen to and a chat about your first lot of questions with scott Lindsay? let's load them up uh hi scott you talked a bit about the defending earlier <laughs> 
it felt a bit like um happened a few times against Orient and the goal against Carlisle where there was a lot of space in the middle of the field. How um do you feel that you're a bit too open in those areas and how do you stop that from happening? Yeah, I, I think we I think we did feel open in the certainly in the Carlisle game. Um, I think there was moments in the Carlisle game which we we spoke about um, with the squad after the game, and when we debriefed the game, we looked at areas where we we felt we looked open. Um, so yeah, we we I don't think I, I think we put I, I think we put uh, that I think we put that right against Orin. I don't think there was as many kind of spaces or we, or that we did we certainly didn't look as open in, in the late knowing game as we did in the Carlisle game in my opinion I think we if the ball turned over and we had to recover we recovered quite well I thought that we condensed the pitch better Tuesday night than we did probably Saturday so yeah I wouldn't disagree yeah and then um, also we talked before late knowing about being a short turnaround uh, it's another short turnaround to Rochdale how much time to get into preparing for the minutiae of how they're going to set up as opposed to Leighton Orient and what have you done so far? Well, yeah, we've, we've, we've basically we get two days really um, of preparation, you know, obviously after the after the uh, Orient game we had Wednesday where they recovered, so you, you can't, which gives me a day to kind of prep um, and watch uh, Rochdale in, in depth. Um, we've done some work today um, in terms of how we want to be with the ball um, and then tomorrow we'll do some work again with that kind of reiterating bits of that and then a lot of work will go in with us not with the ball tomorrow and then kind of set pieces okay. um, and, then, and, that, and then we'll kind of follow that up with with a meeting on the game day with a kind of a presentation to show the players literally reiterating everything that we worked on that's all from me thanks scott thank you joe i was so glad that you asked this first one about the defending because this was something that i this was the first game i've been to um i went to orient on tuesday evening um and stopped over in lovely calm and been back uh, yesterday so being all over the place just this idea, the the sort of where the, the the standing off, the gap in the middle, it must have been something that's, that's bugged you. What what made you want to ask about that one? Yeah, I don't know that it's necessarily standing off as well as much as moving too high because you notice with I think it was George Monker and Paul Smythe both had easy runs through the middle of the Swindon team, possibly coming off one side but moving into a large cavernous space in the middle of the pitch and you also move to the Carlisle goal where I forget who it is but they run straight through the middle of the pitch and there's just too much space and I was thinking that's becoming you know a bit too much of a trend and I don't I don't personally agree with Scott Lindsay's answer I wasn't at Carlisle so I can't speak to how bad it was there he said that he they felt they'd you know plugged that gap to a certain extent they'd they'd worked on it and it dropped off against Leighton Orient. Now, if I can remember just off the top of my head two instances of people having lots of space in midfield, then I don't know how many times that happened at Carlisle, but that's very worrying. And I, I, I personally don't, as I say, I don't agree with his answer that it was sold because I think 
but that is too much of an error. I think you just saw Gladwin and Khan committed too high up the field, presumably trying to press like they want to, and that breast had broken down. And then suddenly you had Louis Reed with you know, two or three runners beyond them, and he's the only man in space. And the defenders have to back off to close down space in behind to make that pass difficult. And suddenly you have Reed, who isn't exactly a defensive player against, you know, someone who's carrying the ball at speed with some options to his name. So I think it is probably just a breakdown in, uh, you know, not pressing correctly or pressing the wrong triggers and overcommitting. But it was a problem that I had noticed and I don't think his answer comforted me that much. Do you think that's a symptom of having four instead of three? No, because I think the problem comes from uh, higher up the pitch. So having more bodies in the front three, because we were pressing with, say, f- uh, five instead of four, I suppose, if you have the, the two more advanced midfielders and then your front three, and they're pressing higher. And in the three, we'd probably press with four. But you don't have any more players in the middle of the pitch, really, because that's still just Louis Reed. So you would hope maybe with the more pl- more players higher up the pitch that you would be able to cut it off more. So I don't think that has much to do with the formation at all. It was, it's, it's just they need to become more efficient in the way that they're stopping teams playing out from the back. Although I think Leighton Orient is probably a more exceptional case of the fact that they are a team that is more set up to do that than most at this level. And we're still changing things around. I, I'm looking back now, it feels almost like that the, you know, the big, the big squad turnover for the Walsall game at this stage of the season that still feels like a mistake because we're still sort of feeling out what the best, what the best starting eleven is, and uh, that quick turnaround is not helping either. You asked very eloquently about that, about you know the quick uh, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturdays coming around, the minutiae of it all. I enjoyed <laughs> that very much. Um, yeah, do you think that's that's allowing much space to actually be able to work this out? What did he think about that? Yeah, I don't think this helps. I think, you know, again, we do get, have slightly more time than we did ahead of Leighton Orient. It's two days instead of one. But it was just something I remember from Ben Garner last season talking about, you know, they didn't really have time to get players match fit or into the system during the early stages of last season because we were playing so often you don't have that much time because if you take, you know, if you put put one game in the middle of the week where before you would probably have five training days, you're probably down to three and at least two of them have to be focusing on a specific opponent. So the way the schedule is going at the moment, where again, it is easier into Rochdale because you have an additional day, but you are, you know, you're having to condense things down an awful lot and that isn't going to help our team gel as much as they would be if like next week we have no games in midweek. So yeah, we'll be working or the answer was that we'll be working uh, today and half of tomorrow on, you know, our own attacking and spaces that we can exploit in Rochdale. And then we'll be doing some defensive and set pieces stuff in the afternoon. And then they'll have more of a sort of evaluative meeting on the morning of the game. But those things you can do a lot more easily if you have more time and you can put them into different spaces. I don't think they would be having that meeting necessarily on the morning of a full week, whereas in a shorter week, you probably have to push it back. So the shorter schedule isn't helping as as much with this team developing, but also at the same time, you get time on the pitch, and that's in actual game situations, and that will also help, like we saw at Salford, with that sort of 
coming together of the squad to play for each other. So swings and roundabouts, I suppose. It's going to help as well having you know having the two home games as well uh, together. That is useful. Um, and joined by a player this time. You touched on it earlier. Joined by the lovely Louis Reed. How was how how was his his general mood before he started answering questions? Because it's been a it's been a sticky start, to put it mildly, for him. This one was tougher for me because. Um, obviously, usually I would be in the room, but because of the rail strikes, I couldn't get to Swindon today. So I was over on Zoom. So I didn't necessarily see as much as read as I saw of, say, McCurdy or um, some uh, some of the players we've had in previous weeks. But I, I would say Louis Reed seemed pretty pleased. He was, you know, he made a big point of saying that he was happy at this, happy at Swindon at the moment, settled here. He's, you know, he's under contract and he's not pushing to leave anywhere. He's obviously had the slow start. He, we've spoken with Lindsay before, and you know, he said that they knew that he wasn't hitting the heights that he had reached before. But I think we saw a better Louis Reed against Leighton Orient. Hope we we can see an even better one against Rochdale. But you know, he's he's very reflective, speaking on how he's you know he's just not played as well as he should have done so far. Nowhere near last year, which he admits was the best of his career. But he's you know he's just Maybe at the moment he's not learned the players around him as much as as he would hope, as certainly as well as he knew the players last year. And he's just figuring out their runs. So hopefully when he gets more accustomed with his surroundings, then, then we'll see the Louis Reed that we knew from last year, who was just absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, I can't help wondering if that maybe because he was so good last year, I wonder if just the expectation is just something that's made those performances stand out or that extra pressure but you know he seems like a reflective guy and that you know it's not been ideal but it did seem more of a you know confidence building performance on on tuesday night which was uh great to see but oh mr mr johnny leefield of the advert had to had to ruin the party a bit bringing up the dreaded port vale game and asking quite directly, although it's quite juicy, if it sort of left any sort of indelible mental scars on the man. What, what did he have to say about about that torrid time? Yeah, I don't know that Reed was overly happy to reflect on it again. I know I certainly wasn't happy to have to think about Port Vale again. But um, this is sort of coming from Louis Barry, who'd done an interview uh, at MK Dons ahead of them playing Port Vale and talks about how, you know, he was maybe a bit scarred by the Port Vale experience and, uh, you know, wanting to use that as motivation. So it was it was looking towards how Reed reacted to that game and uh, what, what he thinks about it now. And he said that he'd watched the Port Vale match five or six times over the summer and every time it got to the shootout, he still thought that we were going to win, apparently, which, you know, you feel like if you'd watched something a few times, you'd remember the ending, especially if you were there. I know I can't forget it. But um, you know he's um he's but he's I think he's pushed past it now. He's not reflecting on it too much. He you know he's suggested there were you know a lot of times last season where you know, things didn't go as we planned, and the outcome is different if they went our way. So there was plenty of motivation. It didn't have to all be on that one uh that one night in Burson. We all wish we could forget. Yeah, certainly six more times than I've watched it. Blimey, I can't imagine 
doing that to yourself. But I suppose that is that is the key of being a professional of you know having to look back into dark times and try and take something away from it. So yeah, and and great news to hear that you know he's committed. It was there was almost like a sort of absurd murmurs going around that you know he's playing deliberately poorly to put himself into a shop window which doesn't make any sense uh any sense to me you had some questions to ask him so shall we hear those as well let's okay. yeah hi louis i'm um, sorry i'm in the computer sorry i'm in the computer um i was i was just wondering um, with the sort of wait for a win, we've heard from other players, Angus McDonald before the first game was talking about confidence of being good enough for promotion. Has there been any sort of waiver in your guys' confidence with a wait for a first win? No, not at all. I think um, a lot of teams could easily say, right, well, we've not had a great start. We're going to write off promotion. We're going to write off playoffs and just try and put a, as many positive results together as we can and, and hopefully it'd be enough. But... For me, that's not changed at all. The the focus is still firmly on promotion, both through the players and, and the staff. Yeah. And then, uh, again, with the sort of familiarity of new teammates, how long of a process is that normally for you, getting to know the way that other players around you are playing? And what was it like last season as well as this year? I think it, it changes depending on the player. Um, obviously, lads come in at different dates, so you get more time with others than than you do with sort of the, the lads that come in maybe a week or two before the season starts. Um, and then I suppose it's it's kind of down to them when, when they're in training, how they express express themselves when they're playing. Um, and yeah, you kind of get a gauge for it then. Yeah, that's all for me. Thanks, Louis. Cheers. Okay, I'm going to... Got to sort of flip around the questions from there because I want to really dig into your first question. But you had built on the second question about that, how long it takes, and you'd already discussed about you know learning um, how your new teammates operate and you know gelling and working out each other's strengths um, and things like that. Just was really good to hear about uh, you know his insight of. You know, how how things would be different and how long that might actually take trying to put a time scale on it well it was a point that came up with McCurdy a few weeks ago and how he was adapting to playing with new players and learning that process so I thought you know he brought it up a little bit in reflection to his own performances that looking into that a little bit more might be quite useful so it, it, it was the it was a similar answer that we got from McGurdy that it, it depends on the group. Maybe those relationships formed a little bit quicker last season and that might have changed all of our expectations on how long these things actually take. And I think it, we are seeing a few more growing pains this season than we ever did last whilst on the field. And Reed, you know, he, he feels that they are getting there and he is understanding you know, what Saidu Khan might want to do in a certain situation that Jack Payne wouldn't have done, for example, or how Darcy would want to receive a pass. So I think what was notable against Leighton Orient maybe was that we just saw a, a calmer read, but we didn't maybe see those flashier switch passes that we saw a lot last year because maybe he isn't as accustomed to where to put the ball for Jacob Wakeling or all the players where who would be the recipients of those which have changed from last season. Yeah, if he's feeling comfortable as well enough to come into a uh, coming to a presser and to and to feel questions that suggests to me that 
the Orient game was a was a panacea, and that he will hopefully be uh, in tip top form here on out. Well, there's a lot riding on Saturday. Then going back to your first question, waiting for a win, which was what McDonald had said um, some weeks back, and whether this will sort of kickstart the season. And of course, as we touched on earlier, Lindsay saying that they're not performing like a top seven side. It was it was quite inspiring, quite rabble rousing to hear his reflection as to whether we should be thinking of ourselves as a promotion contending side. That got me that got me fired up. Well, with many of these types of situations, this was the answer you wanted to hear, and not no, we're at, we're going to finish twelfth at best, kind of thing, you know. Uh, when we'd spoken with McDonald before the season had started, he'd been very firm in prom- promotion is the game. Lindsay all throughout pre-season was talking that way. And then and then even today, when we were talking with Scott Lindsay, he was saying that you know, a win can kickstart everything. We're not playing like a top seven team yet, but we can get there. So it's just looking within, within the squad and how they'd reacted to going four games about a win, which for a team who are looking to challenge isn't something you want to do with any sort of frequency. So if that had affected the mood, if it affected the expectations for themselves, and obviously Louis Reed was, you know, as you say, very, very firm and, and I mean, everything we wanted to hear in his answer, if, you know, not at all being the main thing that hasn't, hasn't knocked their confidence. They still believe in what they're doing. They're happy with Scott Lindsay there happy with the way we're playing and the way we're, where we're moving to. And that still is very much looking at top seven at a minimum, hopefully top three. We are going to need to get a move on. And I think we are definitely going to need to beat Rochdale. But this squad is is still positive from what Louis Reed told us. And they're still, you know, they haven't let any of this impact them too much. And they just want to get the season going in proper by getting that win on the board. Yeah, it's definitely something that I needed. I need to to hear from that. As we said earlier, you know, Rochdale in absolute disarray, especially now that they've you know lost their manager and assistant. It's not looking ideal. It's looking like it's going to play into Swindon's hands um, beautifully, though. So, predictions wise, what are we thinking for Saturday? I'm going to go with one nil Swindon. I think we have to get. You know, a win in a win in soon. Rochdale feels like a perfect candidate for that. I was pleased to get the the right prediction in midweek, and hopefully, I can continue and go two for this week. So, yeah, one and then continue the streak going of me beating nominally Rich, but you today in in the prediction. So, yeah, one nil Swindon. Rich in honour, yes, he said that you were you had the jump on him there. I'm thinking similarly conservatively, not an absolute route, but. What uh, what a kickstart it would be to have a nice, fairly modest two nil. Be a good confidence builder um, from there. So that's what I'm going to go for. I'm going to go for two nil. I'll put I'll put Rich's name under that, and then he can he can atone for that on Sunday. Well, I think that's everything. I feel I feel now that Louis Reed is you know lit a fire under my belly. I feel more excited going into the weekend. Joe, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Joe. Try the box to Monkey. Good run by him and now that's goal. 
The Low Strangers is an independent podcast and views given do not reflect those of Swindon Town Football Club. The intro music of the presser is by the amazing Drag Me Down influenced by the great Matthew Kilford. And the podcast artwork is by Matt in Singapore. What a guy. Thanks for listening. Come on, Swindon. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.